Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me in my living room is my good buddy, Patrick Johnson. Patrick, what's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Nice nice living room. Good to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to do this with you. You're, you're one of my, uh, we talked about this last time I had you on, but you're one of my longest uh, friends in the industry. Long, you're not the longest in like physical stature. Thank I just, God. I just mean in terms of being <laughs> our, our friendship. Has, it's been a while, yeah. Has when did, been blossoming for years and years. When were you? Um, we were eating. We were eating donuts in the uh, in the Vancouver long, Giants. Wow, that is a long time ago. Is that 2012? Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. That's offside. No. Well, that's, me, that's Reese. Who are you? No, I was. Uh, so you're an expert. We would go to. Right. Um, we would go to the AHL games during the 2012 lockout. That's correct. We'd watch Zach Cassian and the Chicago Wolves. Was Cassian on the Wolves? He, he was. was. That's yeah. right. They sent yeah. him down. He was like their only good player. And then it was That's like, right. it was like uh, what was his name? Mark Mancari. No, Wyatt's no. He, he was, he, I mean, AHL legend. No, they had a couple other guys. They had the uh, Bill Sweat. Billy Sweat. Yep. Uh, Eddie Locke. Eddie was playing on the team. Yeah. Jordan Schrader might have been on the team. They had Schrader. It was a lot of failed. A Mike lot Gillespie's of picks. not great. I think, I've said this before. I think Schrader, I think Schrader. Ahead of his time. I think Schrader was okay. Maybe okay, maybe ahead of his time. I mean, anyway, he played a couple hundred NHL games. <laughs> Kevin Connaughton. Kevin Connaughton. Yeah. Well, or they hadn't was, traded him yet. It was really funny because, like, you know, most of those teams yeah, were trying trying to get their young players some some action during the lockout, right? And then there was that, like, Oklahoma team where it was, like, all the Oilers' first overall picks came Basically. to town, and, and the building was packed. And it Was, was like, Nuge, Nuge playing for them? Or was he too old? No, I think Nuge was there, actually. It was, like, even, even like, Hall and Eberle were there, I feel like. It was crazy. Yeah. Justin yeah, Schultz. Then, yeah. That was the first Justin Schultz cameo we'd gotten, and everyone was like, "This guy's going to be the next big thing." He turned out okay. Yeah, no Stanley Cup winner Justin Schultz. Yeah. Um, so Patrick, today here's what we're going to do. You cover the Canucks full time, so they say. So I don't necessarily think because I've done a Canucks deep dive on this show. 
Uh, yeah. I don't want to sort of relitigate that or get into it, but I do think there's a couple things sort of tangentially related to the team that can we can use as launch points for sure. discussions that a fan of the Blue Jackets, a fan of the Wild, a fan of Team X is going to sort of be able to apply the Seattle to Seattle X's, is that what you're calling them? Yeah, exactly. So here's the first thing. So the Canucks find themselves right now in the middle of this heated wildcard race. There's six teams. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. There's six teams between 74 and 79 points. Right. For a while there, it looked like the Canucks were, you know, they were sitting atop the Pacific and there was, you know, you could kind of squint and be like, I mean, they could pull this off. The rest of this division is clearly the weakest one in the league. Vegas was kind of inexplicably sputtering. Yeah. Um, you know, the Alberta teams weren't winning yeah. a lot. And now they've gone on this three, six and one stretch where they've kind of squandered any hope of that. And I think unfortunately squandered it from the sense that, you know, now that they're not going to get a top two seed in the Pacific, they're not going to get home ice in round it's one. It's challenging they make for it. sure. And yeah. they've, I think they're right up there in terms of like the biggest home road splits, yes. which makes sense given the composition of the team. And I think they really do feed off of the energy. And, and so, um, and matchups, I mean, they are a matchups team. They are realistically. Um, but so what, what coincides with that? And so the backdrop of this is Jacob Markson's injury. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, skated today though, by the way, he skated today, but so he, I think he only played like one or two of those 10 games in that three, six and one stretch that I mentioned. Um, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. And anyway, so, you know, I think, I think we playable. can talk about Markstrom yeah. from the perspective of his performance, from the perspective of building a team around a goalie and being that dependent on one, and sort of this upcoming UFA class, how much he's going to get paid, how teams... Right. Because we are at this uh, crossroads point, I feel like, both in terms of mine and your job of evaluating goalies, mm-hmm. how teams are using them, how teams are paying them, you know, Bobrovsky contract class yeah. on our side. Um, and so that's going to kind of stir this up and you know this year's Vesna race is going to be fascinating because there's a couple goalies with insane traditional stats in yeah. terms of save percentage and wins and then there's a couple goalies on worse teams that have amazing goal saved above average goal save above yeah. expected metrics but don't have the traditional counting stats that goalies typically get rewarded on and so I think we're going to see how GMs value that we're going to see how they get paid this summer accordingly so I don't know Let, let's get into Markstrom and, and just everything about it I think here's my question for you if you're so reliant upon one goalie, and the goalie, the goaltending is the most important possession position yeah. in the league, yeah. right? Like you need a good goalie to win; they can cover all your flaws. But if it turns out, like in the case of the Canucks, that you're so reliant upon this one goalie to cover for your other flaws, doesn't that, in theory, kind of tell us about how the initial design in the first place was oh, maybe yeah. a flawed one? Yeah, absolutely. I think it says everything. Uh, it's a it's a team that you know if we look at the trend of of their their uh, struggles, I should say, since they last made the playoffs, even perhaps going back to that 2015 season when they did make the playoffs. You know, it's a team that has has struggled with moving the puck up the ice, and inherently playing too much defense, having defensemen who really weren't that good in their own end. Um, you know, a, a series of essentially downgrades in the defensive end, a conception of of defense that wasn't sort of keeping with the modern time. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of sort of the force field mentality that, you know, once populated the league 15 years yeah. ago and, and the way, you know, Lucas Spiza, for instance, was presented, Eric Branson was presented as these guys that were sort of defend the crease, mm. which just clear the crease. Yeah. Right. And it just doesn't, it does, doesn't even work anymore. It's just not, it's just not how the game's played. Um, and so that there was a sort of a, 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 
a conception of how defense worked that was just inaccurate. And so what we've seen this year was a direction that changed. Obviously, getting Quinn Hughes is a huge part of that story and his ability to to move the puck up the ice and play more on offense and just simply play less defense. And when the Canucks were having success in the first month of the season, now they were playing lesser opponents, but they were playing very well, especially in transition. They turned a lot of pucks over in the neutral zone. They were getting back in offense, mm. and it was working. They weren't playing a lot in their own end. It was You could just see it by the simple shot metrics, and that was, was great. Um, and as the schedule got harder and as teams got more video to figure out what they were doing, you know that, that tide has changed. And as you said, thank goodness for them they've had Jacob Markstrom because yeah. he's been so on point and and just hasn't given up any bad goals this year. I mean, we can look at the contrast. Thatcher Demko, on the whole, has been fine as a backup. He's yeah. essentially posted league average numbers. That's what you want. You know, the the they had that disastrous road trip where they, right after Markstrom got hurt, they were in Eastern Canada yeah. and then yeah. into Columbus. And and in every one of those games, essentially, there was a bad goal against, whether it was Louis Domingue who played against Columbus or those three games with Demko. And that was a difference maker. And that right there told us, you know, this is a team that can more often than not outscore their problems, and they have, mm-hmm. but that depends on the goalie being good. How much of that do you think is, is um, you know, obviously it's not by design because no team would want to have, be that reliant upon the goalie, right? They want to make life easier for right. them in an ideal world. But we do see, and I just had Arthur Staple on the show when we were talking about the Islanders, and like they're a classic example of a team that just completely went the other way when they went from Doug Waite right. to uh, Barry Trotz, where they just became like the stingiest defensive team. And and we see that, whether it's with Arizona or whether with Dallas, like when you have that defensive system where you pride yourself on, Chances are you're playing a lower event game, mm-hmm. and that's gonna you're gonna give away stuff on the other end of the ice offensively because maybe you're not as aggressive pinching, maybe you're not pushing the pace as much. You're sort of more comfortable sitting right. back, right? And with this Canucks team, they're they play one of the high, fa- highest paced paces yes. of the league. Um, you know, it suits them well, especially with their younger players and a lot of the talent they do have. But then I wonder how much of it is like they want to play that way to accentuate that, and that's this is kind of the drawback of that defensively. And how much of it is the fact that they sort of miscalculated the situation from not realizing the league was heading this way mm-hmm. when they traded and signed for Brendan Sutter, when they signed Jay Beagle, because these are guys that are conventional right. sort of defensive players yeah. that they use in matchups. But as the game's shifting, you can't, those guys just aren't really effective anymore. You need to be good offensively to be good defensively in a way. I think there's two things to, to think about that tell us that's help tell us that story. First of all, the first coach under Jim Benning was Willie Desjardins. And Willie, I think, as we all know, was massively under-equipped yeah. in terms of tactical awareness, any kind of systems design, anything like that. Um, just not not a good coach mm. from that standpoint. Maybe he's fine at a lower level, but at the NHL level, just wasn't, just didn't, couldn't do it. Yep. And, um, and the Canucks struggled because of that. And I think that was some of what went on there was that I, I, you know, you kind of find yourself wondering, you know, as you suggest, you look at a team like, you look at like Rick Talkett in Arizona, great example of a guy who I, I, I wonder how much, how much success is about the system he has designed and how much is it that the, they have the right players to fit that Mm. system. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I think fit is more important than system. Because you can't do the system if you don't have the right players. Right. And I, I would say that, which then brings us to Travis Green. And, you know, you look at some of the frustrations I, you know, he, I think, had about his team last year 
when you look at some of the struggles they had, and as things I've already suggested, this was a team he wanted to be able to break the puck out, to disrupt in the neutral zone, to play this kind of counterattacking game, but acknowledge the fact that, you, yeah, you're going to play a high-tempo, high-event hockey uh, because that's a stylistic choice, and you need to have a goalie behind that that works. And, of course, their second half was better than their first half, partly because the changes that Ian Clark, the goalie coach, put in halfway through, or, well, was putting in through the season, but really kind of clicked in halfway through last year. Yep. Jacob Markstrom figured it out, and and that ball started rolling. And I have to admit, I was skeptical heading into this season because it seemed like I, a very neat narrative after, like, a 25-game yeah. run of I think most excellence. people did. Yeah. I think most people, but at the same time, this was a guy that was highly thought of. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, you know I, I have a story coming soon, and we're going to touch talk about the guy that, well, as I talked about, Mike Gillis. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I talked to Mike Gillis about this, and, you know, I think he said, listen, when we traded for Jacob Markstrom, there was a reason. I don't think they thought it would take him seven years or six years. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the pedigree was there. This was a goalie who was the best goalie outside the NHL. Um, but what I was going to say, the other thing about Travis Green, though, is at the same time, is, okay, look, he's designed this system with a particular view. And as you said, they've had some players in there. You look at a Jay Beagle who has a clear role, clear purpose. But one of the things I find interesting about Green, especially this year, is you can see there is a desire. He's constantly looking for players to fill out his lineup. And more and more, you know, they've finally gotten back to the smart approach. And I, and I don't know how much this is Green and how much this is bending, evolving, or it's just the way it kind of worked out because they actually have some prospects. But they're filling – you fill from the top down mm-hmm. at a certain level. So right. that's like – you know, I mean, you can discuss about the price that they paid for JT Miller. But adding JT Miller was about putting a player that they believe could play in the top two lines and pushing a guy who had been on the top two lines, a guy like Antoine Roussel, down the lineup, Jake Vertanen, down the lineup. Adding Tyler to Foley again, there were there were there was an impetus to that, which was that they had to make the playoffs for internal kind of organizational reasons. Yes, um, and they had a hole to fill because they didn't know how long Brock Besser was going to be out, and Tyler to Foley was available. And Tyler to Foley has been a great addition and has made this team better in the short term. Now, the long term consequences of the decisions, of course, are obvious, but in doing so, Green has been able to sort of create a third line in the more modern way of thinking. Adam Gaudet is in his second season, has still has things to be improved on defensively, but has shown lots of flash offensively and has proven to be sort of that third scoring center that every team wants to have now. Yeah. Um, at least he's, and, and is trending, I would say, in the right direction. We'll see where he ends up. But he's certainly a player that they're happy with. And that shows you that at the end of the day, Green also recognizes, on the whole, the team has to be better. And they found a way, at least in the forward ranks, to make it better. And they're playing in a, in a system that he wants to play in that I think that they still believe they're going to have success in, even if they are having some struggles defensively. Well, that's the thing I struggle with. And, and we were talking about this before we went on the air. But, you know, if you just viewed it from like in a vacuum. I think there's so much to like about this Canucks team. They've been right. remarkably fun to watch this year. They play super fast. Right. They have Hughes and Pedersen still on their ELCs where Hughes has been, I think pretty clearly for me, the most impactful rookie skater in the league. Yeah. Pedersen, I think like the evolving wild modem has like a plus 20 goals above replacement. He's one of the, been one of the most impactful players mm-hmm. in the league regardless. Um, and so they have like all these young pieces where, I think in theory, they should be sort of positioned as this young upstart team built around those guys that is going to be better and better for years to come and has championship aspirations and all this stuff. And playoffs this year should be irrelevant because this, you know, they went from sucking to being competitive now. Yeah. But instead, 
and I don't know how much of this is just having a sort of behind the scenes view of how this stuff works, but a lot of it is so it's like so transparent how much they've sort of boxed themselves with the contracts they've signed with some of the transactions they made where for them, the most important thing right now is making the playoffs. Like they desperately need to make the playoffs this year for Jim Benning to preserve his job for the owners to make some money. Yeah. And so it goes from being that kind of fun little story to all of a sudden being like a kind of like a, get rich quick scheme sort of thing, right? Like, and, and that's just like, that's what irritates me as, uh, as someone who follows the league where I do think there, there, there is that kind of imbalance for me. It, it is a very much a question of sort of how you orient yourself towards sports as an observer, which is what we do, you know, as fans, which is the people we talk to, um, What's more important, feeling really good right now and not worrying about what comes next yep. or sort of that sitting back and being like, okay, it's good now and it's going to be even better next. And I, I think the, the, the former kind of position believes that they think the same way as the second or should th- or that the second person should be thinking the same way as them. Yeah. But there's inherently a difference as you've highlighted, which is that, you know, in the end, what is your, what is the process that got you to Mm. your current position and how how does that project forward? And yes, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things we've been discussing in Canucks land and it, but it's true for many teams around the league. You know, what does your cap situation look like and how much are you hoping that the cap goes up as much as it might go up next year, which is, you know, five and a half million dollars over what it is this year. I'm not sure that's going to happen. That sort of requires the players. Well, we'll get more into that. But we can get more into that. But I think when it comes to the Canucks in in their particular instance, I mean, I've made this case before. The reality is, is that, yeah, they do have some real obstacles that they've, in some cases, imposed on themselves in how they've built their cap. Yep. And I, I, I essentially had made a case before. I made two cases. I made one case, which was that, you know, maybe you should consider trading Jacob Marstrom because this is where he's at. Maybe you can't keep him in the long run. Just go for it. Look at the uh, Columbus example. Two young, two younger goalies. Yep. Just roll with them. Trust your coach. Trust your goalie coach, mm-hmm. and and see what you can get. I don't know if anybody was trading for a goalie at the deadline, but that was one idea. Trade Jake for Tannen. Trade Chris Tannen. Both players who have value, who have been very good for this team, but you're not sure they're going to be anything more than they are right yeah. now. And you do that because you're pushing all those are the chips you have to push in because going forward, you're not going to be able to maintain the things you may like about this roster because of your cap constraints. Yeah. And so that is very much go for it right now. You have your two guys on their ELCs already instead of waiting, get it done now for the patient methodical approach, which is, you know, I think what you were suggesting, yeah. which is the thing you like, you, you know, I think when you sit back and you'd like to see it, I mean, I get it. I totally understand. Um, and in the big picture, that is the smarter way to go, which is to don't rush it, right? Don't go out and sign veteran players who are already have a three at the beginning of their age to four year deals to be your checking line center. Like, it's just not a rational thing. There's no, there, that's not how you plan for this. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, wonder, it's all very human. What I was going to say was, it's all very human at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Like, it, like that's that's the that's the kind of that's that's the reality of it, is that is that you know the the owners haven't had playoffs. They make money in the playoffs, yeah. So they want to get the playoffs. So it's inherently getting the playoffs. What's so going to is this going to get us the playoffs? Is this move going to put us in the playoffs? And 
Like, that's been the pattern here for seven years. That's what I keep coming back to. It's the that's like that existential question question when you're building a team of are you trying to make the playoffs? Yeah, playoffs, or are you trying to win a Stanley Cup? And yes, I get that you have to make the playoffs to win a Stanley Cup, and there's this <laughs> idea that teams can't just have playoff success in their first try with this young core where you have to go through those growing pains and lose in the round one, lose in round two, make it to the conference finals, kind of this like stepwise evolution, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think when a team like the Blues last year wins wins a cup kind of improbably going from worst to first, yes. it gets kind of it it makes it empowers uh struggling franchises to be like, that could be us. Totally losing sight of the fact that a stat that I keep coming back to is the Blues were literally the best team in the league from January 1st on. Like In terms of every single yeah. predictive 5-on-5 metric, they were the most dominant team in the league. And so all these teams that are in the bottom 10 right now that are like hovering around a playoff spot that think they're going to be the next Blues, like I have a, a rude awakening for them. But The, the, the thing I, I've really been dialing in on is sort of how do we tell the story? And it's what you just sort of hinted on. How you know what? Do, what do we believe evolution looks like? How do, uh, of a of a hockey team to be clear? So you know there is that notion. Well, you know you gotta, you know that school of hard knocks. You gotta kind of you gotta find out how tough it is to win, and then you'll know how to win. Well, and think the, about how much sweeter it is to tell that story of this team has been yeah. through the the hard yeah. hardships. Now yeah. they're yeah. on top. And there's plenty of examples of teams who. Um, you know, made the, the you could see okay, this is maybe a team for the future, and they made the playoffs, and they had some sort of disappointment, and then a year or two later, they're in the final. Now, how much of that is actually learning, or is that development of skill, or is it actually a combination of the two? And I, I have some time for the notion of quote learning how to win, but I think it gets articulated wrong. And I think what it really is about, and it's something I've talked, I was talking to. JT Miller about, which is the idea of how how much athletes have to understand that every moment does matter and that you can't slack off at this level anymore. Mm. It's not so much about learning how to make the right decision in a moment, but it's learning about how to be consistently um, positive in your efforts in that way. Everything you do, every time you step on the ice, there's no wasted energy. There's no wasted moments. There's no wasted movements. Right. And, and that's something I think, I think that's true in almost any sport. That is something you do have to learn. Um, but that's not, but that's not, um, but, but that's not that, that at the end of the day still is relying on you having good enough players. Yes. Right. And so sometimes players aren't quite ready because they're 20 and they need to get a little more strength. And then next year they're 21. And you look at the evolution of Pedersen. Look, you know, ideally, I think most people say, well, Hughes in a couple of years, once he's actually, you know, not a teenager. Yep. You know, that's when you want to have your team optimal. And that, that I think, to come back to your earlier question, is the kind of baffling thing when you sit back about it because that's what you should be designing about. And it's sort of been a case that's been presented quite smartly by a lot of smart people in hockey for 10 years now. Mm. I mean, I can think of when Tyler Dello first started writing about how to optimize your ELCs on his old website. Um, and it's still only now something that I think teams are sort of backing into because overall you see the market. I mean, it goes back to your question about Markstrom and his free agency and the kind of process on that and like what's the value of your goalie but he's a 30 year old goalie you know so you go back to it and you're just like how do you design this team 
And the truth is, you should focus in on when are my players going to be optimal. Yeah. And in terms of understanding development, not worrying necessarily so much about the idea of learning to win because they're going to figure that out anyway. But you also need to make sure you're picking players that understand that the consistency of effort, the consistency of of uh, every shift mattering. There's never an off shift. Every night is what got to be your best night going forward. That sort of thing. But that matters. I think how much of it is just like probability in in the sense well, that that's it. Like yeah. losing in the playoffs early the first couple of years and then winning the cup. Like most years, I think the Lightning were like an overwhelming cup favorite and by most models right. heading into the year last into the postseason last year and obviously, you know, right. didn't work out for them. But that was an anomaly, I think. Most years I would say um every sort of projectable model would have the cup favored at like less than 20% yeah. to win the cup. Yeah. And what you're trying to, and that, and that's what I mean is that at the end of the day, the quote learning to win thing, yeah. it's really just understanding when you should be optimizing your players. Yes. And if you look at, I mean, we've talked about them endlessly here, but you look at like the 2011 Canucks who were far and away the best team in the league, but at the end of the day got hurt, you know, the Bruins were just pull it out a little bit better or whatever have you. You know, uh, did any of us think that that team would actually crash out of the playoffs in the first round next year? I'm not. None of us did. No. I mean, I know Thomas Dransel. Well, they won the President's Trophy next year, right? I mean, I know Thomas Dransel wave his flag yeah. and say, "I was the guy that called." But you know what? At the end of the day, if you if you had sat back and said, "Is this team going to lose in the first round?" No, they aren't. But that's how it works, as you said. It also matters on who you match up with, and that's why. And at the end of the day, like you would think that the 2011 Canucks realized if you're going with the narrative oh well they need to learn how to win well they just need to win one more game so but here's the here's the thing that nags me because in theory like these are the years for them to optimize the Hughes and, and Pedersen yes. are already such elite players yeah. and they have this year and next year on their ELCs right. where it makes sense but because of the past contract they signed where the justification was well we need to establish a winning culture we need to right. have NHL veterans right. on this team so they pay Jay Beagle they pay Antoine Roussel they pay all these guys which now they're coming to regret the other thing is I would to be clear I wouldn't put Roussel I think Roussel's been fine but, but they were spending money for the sake of right. having contracts I think I think if you're signing let's put it this way I think if you're signing Roussel without having signed Beagle I don't think you're as annoyed as with that contract but it's no, it's the debt by a thousand cuts it, aspect well yeah it's giving Sam Gagne extra years yes. then having to trade him for Spooner and then having and then an extra million Spooner. on his uh, yeah. buyout, right? It's like just a combination. Yeah. It's like a lack of business acumen, I would say. But the thing that bugs me is like every move is so thinly veiled with this idea that they had to go all in now with this group where they're signing Tyler Myers, they're signing yeah. Michael Furland, like, you know, they're making all these moves, they're trading future assets to make this team. And I'm just, and then that's what I keep going back to is what, right. what the end game is here. And, and I don't know, here's a, th- a thought exercise for you. I don't want to get you in trouble with the Aquilinis, but if you give them truth serum or any, most owners in the league, let's say, so let's, let's not name names. Um, and you gave them two options. Option A, you make the playoffs for five straight years but you're pro- like you're losing in round one. Maybe you make it to round two one year, or you make a deep run to a conference final or even a Stanley Cup final. But you don't win it. But you still get a, a bunch of home playoff games stacked into that one year. But then you don't make the playoffs the other years. Which one you choose? I think most owners would probably choose. Not most. There's certain owners in the league that would choose yeah. that consistent every year. Let's get between three and five home playoff games. I think they're totally choosing that. Yeah, because there's a consistent. So isn't that it? Wasn't that insane? From a trying to win the cup perspective, yeah, absolutely. I think, 
I, I think it is one of those ones that ends up clouding your judgment too, right? Because it is a bit of a, you're like, okay, what do I want here? I want to be able to sell Stanley Cup final tickets because the price is, I don't know, five times what I can charge in the first round. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, but I'm just saying. Well, it's getting that excitement every yeah. year heading into April. Right. And I think, um, I think you can say, well, if we can just get playoffs every year, or at least we know there's money rolling in. And at the end of the day, I mean, that is the, that is the thing that's happened in sports is that because, I mean, once upon a time, the argument was you should never go into sports to make money. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. Now everyone's but, going to sports. But now, but, now, but now you make money, yeah. right? They wouldn't be doing it. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule where they're just like, I want to see what happens and I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Pretty much every franchise is profitable. You might not be making money in the moment, but just having that as an asset in your portfolio, you can sell it for more money well, than you pay but you for just, it. Yeah, and you just said it right there. What increases your value? I think home playoff dates increases your value. What What do we, in the end, want to see? I think, you know, uh, you would like to... I mean, selfishly, right? This is, this is the part. It's not... We're not cheering for... We're not cheering for what's we're cheering for our story. And a better story is yeah. writing the story about the team that goes to the Stanley Cup final. But that's harder to do because that means being patient and that means not having sort of dead dead not, spots yeah, on your, on your roster. Award every year. Right? Um, it's a gratification. You know, and I, I think I, – I, I would say this, though, at the same time in all this debate, I do consistently go back to the, the question of – and you kind of said it yourself with the, the challenge of probabilities that the best chance team still doesn't have a dominant chance no, to win. No, of course not. And, and because of that, it always is a reminder to me is how, how tight so many things are. You know, the flip side of the death by a thousand cuts is making sure you're making smart moves along the way to optimize. Um, and it's not so much one decision that hurts you. It's, the accumulation of decisions. And so no one thing is extreme. No one player necessarily, I mean, unless it's like Connor McDavid or I suppose still maybe Sid, right? But even then, those guys, they they really get you a long way towards winning. Hmm. But as we know with the Oilers, it's almost, it is, it what what the bigger impact on your chances is that you've built a good team, yeah, right? And so when, when, when a move gets criticized, I'm like, okay, but I, I do try to sit back and say, what's the trend? Is this one move we're criticizing, or is it a series of moves we're criticizing? And that has been the interesting, challenging dynamic with assessing this current Canucks team, because Tyler Toffoli makes your team better. The price you paid is a lot. And well, same with same with Miller, and the same with Miller, yeah. right? And so you add those two up together, and like combined, the team's better, but you've sacrificed potentially quite a bit. Um, and you need, and, and you know, in many ways, that's kind of the worst shot to take, because the shot you want to take is the one that has causes the minimal damage. To recognize that, you know what, we're not going to have a first round pick this year, but who cares? Because we're picking twenty ninth. Well, and we were talking about this, like whether this idea of like wh- why does your general manager, I get needing to have people who understand hockey, who are talent evaluators, who have been in the game and understand how it works and and the process right. in your organization. But as in terms of like the head of the operation that makes the decisions that that gets players to sign contracts that treats draft picks contracts as assets, right? Wouldn't you be better off having some sort of a business acumen <laughs> as opposed to your main credential being I played in the NHL twenty years ago? Because that's the issue we bump into, where a lot of it is you just get this tunnel vision of did this trade make our team better? And yeah. you're like, yeah, we got the best player. So yeah, our team is better today than it was yesterday. But because of how the league works with the tight salary cap with 
everything taken into account, um, with the margin for error being so small between franchises, um, you can't view that stuff in isolation. There's so much opportunity cost for every transaction you make in terms of, especially, and we saw it, we've seen it recently where like the Canucks wanted to make more moves at the deadline, but they couldn't be in on any of it after they made it to Foley trade because they just didn't have the room well, they, to and they didn't know contracts. Yeah, I mean, as we see, but Markstrom's back, Bester's playing tonight. Like they had two contracts that potentially they were like, okay, they do open up space, but we don't know how for, for how long. So they couldn't make any move, any more moves. Um, I was going to go back to your, have you read range? Are you uh, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So as Epstein notes, there's the, how decisions get made. This is a great book. If you haven't read, I suggest reading David Epstein's book range. Um, and one of the things he highlights is how decisions get made. Basically it's, it's the, the, the book focuses on why it was a generalist thrive in a specialist yes. world of specialists yeah. or whatever. Um, it was just, it made the argument that um, you should have different skills and that people who think they're experts at something but actually aren't anymore are like the most dangerous yeah and i think but one of the the things that really sticks with me is talking about essentially how decisions get made in groups yeah and one of the conclusions is is that the idea of the outside view versus the inside view the inside view is basically sitting there yourself saying what do i think about this what do i see in front of me and then making the decision Whereas the outside view is where you sit back and you look and you try to find comparable scenarios and find out how other people made their decisions mm-hmm. and then and then assess those and see if you can find a better fit to your situation and say, okay, that's the way to solve the problem. It's not it's not saying I know everything. It's saying I don't know a lot. Yeah. And and that consistently is a problem I think we still see in hockey. There's no doubt about it. And and a lot of it just comes down to a lot of it's life experience. And as you said, you know, there are cases to be made around where you you bring people in from the outside and they have advice for the team and you understand how a decision gets made it's not you know the fallacy is to think that napoleon was great because napoleon himself right mm-hmm. napoleon wasn't great because of napoleon himself napoleon was great for a whole bunch of reasons you know the best trained army in the world an incredible uh, officer staff like just understanding who his generals were um, understanding, I mean, there was a great, I think it's actually, it's in range as well, where he talks about one of the things that Napoleon recognized was the challenge of supplying your army on a long campaign. Right. And one of the things, basically, he sat back and said, I don't know how to solve this problem. And basically, they put it out to the French public. And a a chocolate maker figured out that, basically, how to preserve food in tin cans. And that changed everything. They could supply themselves. They could bring their supplies with them. They didn't have to scrounge for food. You kept your army happy and healthy and carrying on. And that was an outside solution to an inside problem. And then also, he was a general who understood how to manage his staff. Um, And as a result, you know, you look at the way modern, especially I think modern hockey still thinks, it's that, well, I have to know everything. I ha- I must make this decision as opposed to sitting back saying, guys, what decision are we going to make? And then working together with your staff. I, I wasn't expecting a Napoleon deep dive well, on this podcast, but you I know. love, I, I'm, I'm very fat. I mean, I need to read more about him, but he really, I mean, he's fascinating. It's, it's such an important sort of element of history. And, you know, I think that's that there's so much to be learned from outside what, you know, well, Okay, so and, and it's, I mean, it's instinctual to me. Maybe it's instinctual to you, but it, it, it is, it's clear how, un, not, how it's not instinctual for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and no matter who you are, where you're at in life, it, it, it would be very good for any manager, no matter what they're in, no matter where you're at, to start thinking, to set yourself and say, 
and start with yourself saying, I don't know. I actually don't know. Did you see that Jurgen Klopp interview where he was asked about his thoughts on the coronavirus or, or, or something? And then he was like, the problem with our society is that, you know, you ask people who aren't experts or don't know about yeah. something and they feel the need to weigh in on it. And it's like, that's what I feel all the time. And, you know, you get asked and if you're covering the league or you're right. a quote unquote, a hockey analyst, you get asked all the time by like, you know, you go to a dinner party or something and someone's like, Oh, who's going to win the cup this year? Yeah. Or what do you think about this? And if you come back with, I don't know because right. of a, 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 B and C that that's such an unsatisfying answer to people, yeah. you know, like yeah. everyone just expects you to know because you work in that field. And so I think we often kind of go about it that way. And, and similarly, how many transactions or how many decisions hockey teams make are because it, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. And it's because you keep kind of this endless, endless cycle or endless train of people with similar backgrounds, similar, um, you know, life experiences, similar ways of training yeah. and coming into it. And so you just keep doing the same stuff. And if you brought in someone from the outside, whether it was from a different sport, uh, a different business, different, whatever, they'd probably have a million ideas of like ways you could do different things to yeah. optimize performance, to optimize, to get kind of cutting edge advantages. And I think one of those would certainly be like offer sheets. Like if, if you, if you brought in a, a stranger to the game and then they were like looking at the list of free agents, they were like, Oh, that guy's good. You're telling me we can sign him. No, 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 we, we can't. Why not? He's young and he's really good. He's going to get better. Like we should pay him now. No, we don't want to hurt the feelings of the other guys. Uh, oh, like th that's literally how the transaction would go. Like trying to explain yeah. the logic of why offer sheets don't happen. I understand the player needs to be willing to sign it. Yeah. But let's say the player is willing to sign yeah. it. And you, work, you, you are running a team in a good market, a big, healthy, burgeoning market where the player wants to come. Why wouldn't you do that? And it's just like people want to improve their teams, but under their own terms, it feels like. Yeah. You know, I, I go back to last summer. I remember when we were talking about, um, you know, we were looking at sort of the variables around the Canucks in the first round. They mm. ended up picking, picking uh, Vasily Colson, Colson yeah. who everyone says it was, it was a great pick. pick. Yeah. Yeah, High right? upside, yeah. But in the moment, you know, there were also, you know, the Canucks were interested in Tyson Berry. And I still haven't figured out quite what the how that deal would have looked. But, you know, were they thinking about dropping a couple spots down? And I remember you pointed out, like, well, what's the opportunity cost? What's the difference between the player getting a 10 versus 12? Right. And, you know, I think in that moment, I think that, I think if that were on the table, and I'm not saying I knew there was a chance to drop down, but if that were on the table, and they have done it before, they've investigated it before anyway. Um, well, they tried again at the deadline. Yeah, but in I'm some just, capacity. Yeah. yeah, but I'm but I'm just saying, you know, the the idea of draw, you know, being willing to drop oh, yeah, down your pick yeah. is yeah. a creative way, and it, you know, there are there are opportunities there. That is an opportunity cost question. Well, the um, biggest opportunity is dropping down from late first to early second. Yeah, yeah, because everyone just wants to make that sexy pick on day yes. one. And and at the end of the day, they made the decision that no, I think I think at the, behind all that, at the end of the day. They made the decision. No, Put Colson is the opportunity, and we're not giving up on that. And I think they. I, well, I mean, he has to play at the NHL, but he's had a great finish to his KHL season. And I think, in hindsight, that was a moment where they did actually make that calculation. Well, the funny thing is, they probably should have taken New Hook, who the Avalanche did wind up taking. Yeah, so I don't know. How I, that, anyway, the calculus there, but, the, but yeah. you know, you know, the the calculation is there, and I think it is a bit of you know. I think I do think slowly but surely. 
there is more and more of that kind of thinking creeping in. Yeah, I, I of do course. think I do think, and it's partly because you know the there is turnover now in general managers. There are. Um, you know, there are guys that haven't always been in the game. There are still a lot of guys that always have been in the game, and I think some of them are struggling quite a bit. Uh, but more and more, we're seeing, and we're seeing a turnover, and and some of that's from within hockey, inside sort of hockey circles. Some of that's because they're understanding there are other guys to bring in. You look at, you know, like in New Jersey, they're being really methodical in how they approach their GM position. Um, okay, well, we're going to talk more about Gillis. Yeah, here but in a I'm second. just saying. But I'm just saying you're bringing you. You do have people around the edges that are coming into it, and then also just the the straight reality that you know the guys that are coming up internally they're 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 older than you and me, but they're not that much more older, and they are more and more going to be products of the shift in education that happened. You know, going on when we were when we were younger, that people just were taught to think more critically, and that. That I think is going to be the big change, you know, five, 10 years from now that we are just, it is just inherent. There's just this wave coming of thinking that's internal to society and that's leaching into all part of sports. You know what the most, uh, I'm not sure how much of this you've experienced, obviously, you know, covering the team, you, you interact um, with people in the organization at all various levels. And especially when a transaction happens, you, you kind of, especially as you build relationships, you get the opportunity to sort of. Even if it's off the record, sort of, why'd you do this? Or like, sort yeah. of, what was the rationale here? And they'll yeah. tell you, right? They're trying to learn about the thinking. For of, sure. Yeah. And the, th- the interesting thing to me is, is when I first started in the industry, it was a lot of, you know, reactionary stuff to like, this t- this team's stupid, this GM's an idiot, yeah. like, why yeah. do they do this? And the more you learn is that, um, and a lot of the logic can be flawed, so it's like not the right decision they came to, but regardless of the move, I guarantee you every team has like a thought out reason of like why they did it. Yeah. It's always funny to see to me when I am critical of a move to hear from someone in the organization kind of defensively, like, well, have you thought about yeah. this, 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 and this? And a lot of times it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of reassuring in the sense that people aren't just making moves just for the sake of making, no but mic- at the same time, yeah. it's like they're approaching it from a, um, Maybe the wrong angle. I, I yeah, and I think I would say that like there's there's no Mike Mulberries anymore. You know what I mean? There's no Mike Keenans. I mean, Mike Keenan I think had a bit of an approach. Uh, but, but I would say, I mean, but the but Benton I mean, Shirelli's I guess aren't in the league anymore. But, but you know, I and, and I think just to your point, you know that if in life, not every decision, even you or I make, is going to be the right decision. You know, we all have our processes, and then you, as you just indicated. You know, at least people are pushing back and saying, "Well, this was our reasons." Well, a lot of it is you. Everyone has to answer to a boss in life. Well, that's it. And you know, we've talked about this kind of dance around the issue with Benning and that yeah. and all that. Yeah. But it's like, and we were talking about this before we went on the air. It's especially with the Miller trade, for example. Right. You know, I was very critical at the time because it it reeked of, I don't care if we're giving up a future first because if we don't make the playoffs, I'm not going to be here to make that pick anyways. And I do think. Oh, I think I don't did. think you're wrong. I still don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think that's motivate. I think that's a realistic motivation, and I think for for most people in this business, because because that's what keeps you employed. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's. I, I don't know. If, is the word cynical? It, it's real. It's reality. Yeah. It's it's twisted, but you know, you look at. You look at, I, I don't know, to go way back, you look at Dave Nona signing, signing David Clarkson, mm. right? Part of that, my understanding, was Nonas looking, basically saying, I have to keep my job. The people that pay the bills saying, Dave Nonas, who's the biggest free agent 
or who are the biggest free agents on the market this summer? And him having to say, well, there's this guy and this guy and this guy. And they're like, wait, he's from here? We've got to sign him. Yeah, it was him. like a marketing You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, you know what? It, it was a terrible contract and a terrible signing. It never was going to work out. But if the option was between keeping your job and not having your job in that moment, you know, it's ridiculous. But that it is the twisted logic that I think you still get a lot of in the NHL. I mean, I know we're trying to suggest that there is a lot more, I think, smart decision being made. But at the end of the day, it is also about who pays the bills and who and what Absolutely. they and, they, to, and they, what they what they want to hear. You have to appease the boss. And and you know, this is the example I use. Like, I'm still convinced that no one was offering a first and a third for JT Miller. Right. I think the Canucks were kind of bidding against themselves because the late, the Lightning really had no leverage. They had to shed that money. Yeah. And um, if it's if if it comes down to going to your boss and saying we improved our team noticeably by adding JT Miller or coming to him and saying, yeah, we actually, the deal fell through because I drew a hard line where I only offered a second and a third and I didn't want to bump it up. That's going to be a very difficult conversation to have. Now I will say I was critical of that move as well. Yeah. JT Miller has blown me away with how good he's been. He's amazing. Helps playing with Pedersen. Certainly. Yes. Uh, you hear all these stories. You, t- you reference him sort of taking like Jake or and all these guys under his wing. That's one thing. Just watching him on the ice, like, I don't think I've seen him lose a puck battle this year. Like he's, he's been insane. Yeah. And I'd watched him closely in New York and in yeah. Tampa. I thought he was a good player. I yeah. thought he was much more of a supporting cast player yeah. than a leader like that. So, you know, the Canucks, whether rightly or wrongly, identified that and it's worked out great for them. I still think you can quibble with the process, yes. especially since it is opportunity cost. Um, but anyways, let's let's move on. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Gillis and stuff because nothing you know, about the Canucks. Well, I think we're both like pretty <laughs> optimistic about them. We love some of the talent they have. Where you know. There's certain things they're better than they were, right? Absolutely, they're more fun. I think yeah. the entertainment value is through the roof. You go back a couple of years ago, oh. going to that rink, it was sad. Like it you was, could, and you could and hear, you could have a conversation with a person on the other end of the rink. It was, yeah, and I, and you know, I mean, the irony in all of this was that they, they, I mean, they, they, they took the weirdest path getting there, but because they signed a bunch of players that didn't really tangibly help get to where they're at now. Right. Right. And refused in many ways to acknowledge the word rebuild to acknowledge it was a retool. The, it wasn't a rebuild. Right. But, but at the end of the day, okay, they've got there. They're they're They've got there. At least it's a new team. It's a different team. There's lots of interesting stuff. There's still lots of flaws to it. And they're going to, you know, next year's going to be a real challenge. Um, and they have a couple contracts. They still need to get out from under. And I'm not sure they'll be able to, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, at least, at least, you know, the the process is not hasn't been great to get well, where they're at, but they're they're not in a terrible. The, the spot. hardest thing to do in this league is to get young star players, and they have two of them. And yes. so that's a great building block. Yeah. Now, how they work around that, we'll see. But you know, let's and whether Jim Benning will be the guy to do that. And this is a great segue for us. I want to talk about Mike, Mike Gillis because you know he ran the Canucks before yeah. that. Yeah, uh, he recently popped up in news where Elliot Friedman reported that he had interviewed with the Devils about their yeah. opening because Tom Fitzgerald is an interim tag, even yeah. though he was like one of the busiest GMs around the trade deadline with all the moves he made. Um, you know, you struck up more of a personal relationship with Mike Gillis, or or a professional relationship, I guess, yeah. in terms of chatting with him, yes. picking his brain, seeing yeah. where he's at, and it is. He's such an interesting and also polarizing name, both uh, in league circles, privately with people in the league and with fans because of how his tenure in Vancouver ended where, and I do think he is to blame a little bit. I do feel like the playoff failure uh, and falling short of the end goal right. kind of uh, 
stirred them in the wrong direction, maybe a little bit, maybe kind of like psychologically broke them in terms of how they were building the team and sort of sticking with that one process as opposed to like it happens. Teams, we see it all the time. I think that's the most commendable thing about the lightning right now where they didn't allow what happened last year to make them freak out and make all these crazy trades just so they got tougher. Like they added on the margins, but they didn't actively subtract from their core. Um, But, you know, with Gillis, he hasn't gotten, and I think part of it is uh, self-imposed where I think it's such a mentally draining job that he did want to take some time off. He was like, he was teaching in law school. Like he was working in Switzerland a little bit, like definitely managing his schedule more, more, more tightly or more freely. Well, he spent time with other sports. He wanted to find out what other people do. He sort of follows. But but he also has, and I, I mean, it speaks to how he rubbed people the wrong way and how he operated in a different way than most GMs that there has not been a ton of traction. No. And I, I think some of it is that, you know, I mean, he said this to many people. I'm not the only person he said this to, but, you know, as I said in no, the tweet. No, report, you're reporting this. But, yeah, and then, I mean, I said it in a tweet, but, you know, you, you know, he's not a guy that wants to be a GM again. He's not interested in that particular role. He does, yeah, of course he wants to work for a team. You know, he's a guy that he 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 likes winning, you know. Um, he's been very successful in his life. He has been very successful in his life and also, as along the way, has not had to worry, you know, about robbing people the wrong way. That's that's his nature. Um you know, there there was a, you know, you look at the the successes they had on ice uh when he was in charge of the Canucks, you of course also look at the things they didn't do very well. I mean, there were some not great trades in there. Um there were some very good free agent signings. There was some pretty poor work at the draft. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think I think it would be interesting now. It would be interesting now to see him in charge because I think one of the things that, you know, I think has become clear is that he was very interested in trying new things. And we saw that, but a lot of the data they had and a lot of the sports science, to be honest, wasn't quite there yet. Right. Um, And so a lot of things they were trying then we know partly because they tried it themselves, but also partly because in general, everybody's trying new stuff. Uh, so I think it would be interesting from that standpoint. From that standpoint, just to see him involved with a team that thinks in those ways, that is interested in pushing the envelope, that is interested in studying things like sleep cycles and when they really should be traveling and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you know he's done very well in his life. Let's not let's not ignore the fact that he's done very well, and as a result, he's he's able to pick his spots. Um, and so you know, I think he he certainly is willing to talk. I think he'd be. I think if the right offer came along, he would absolutely say yes. Um, I'm sure there are elements about the New Jersey, for instance, uh, group, the owners there who are you know all in on data, have found a fair bit of success with their other team, the the Seventy Sixers. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the Sixers haven't won anything, but yeah, they're a very interesting team, and and that's a reflection of who owns them. And uh, I think there is certainly interest in New Jersey uh, in, 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 you know, obviously you can see it. I mean, they hired Tyler Dello. I mean, that was Matt, you know, Kane, hired, Matt Kane, right? Like they hired two, two guys who think in different ways, um, who are very big on data. You know, Tom Fitzgerald clearly has been handed a fair bit of responsibility. Um, but I have every reason to think that, you know, there's a much more kind of a collective decision-making process happening there. Um, it's not just, you know, 
Fitzgerald's this brilliant guy who should be the GM. I think it, what they, I really do think there is an interesting fit there because Gillis is a guy that clearly is interested in changing. He, he he's interested in doing things in new ways, partly because he's fully convinced that most of what's had been done in the past was wrong. And I think he wants to be, he would be interested in being involved with a group that we're trying to push the limits in terms of how their structure looks, how they make their decisions. Um, so yeah, when I, when I saw that, that, that had actually happened, I, I wasn't surprised to hear that at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm biased. I'm coming at it from the perspective of, uh, and I've been open about this, that, that Gilman Gillis regime was like, what got me into this right. industry? What got me hooked just because that team was, you know, now it's funny to look back at it and be like, view it as cutting edge. Cause it's so commonplace now yeah. with a lot of the thinking and like, even like, you know, sheltering the crap out of Cody Hodgson and Henry Sidine yeah. while playing Manny Malhotra like, yeah, for yeah. all of the defensive sh- shifts. At the time, people were like, whoa, like, yeah, 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 this yeah. team's optimizing their usage and their matchups and all this stuff. But in many ways, quantifying it. Um, but in many ways now, actually, the sheltering using a more defensive-only player, we're actually like, why would you do that? Because, I mean, Canucks are doing that with Jay Beagle. Yeah. I'm not, you know, but but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, at, for the time, though, it was like, whoa, nobody's ever thought about that. Right, and, they were coming at it from a different angle, and it yeah. was like it, it very... Um, like it hooked me in terms of interest yes. of what was capable, right? Yes. And I think, you know, most hockey people do not want to be told that what they've been doing was wrong. Well, I think and that's so, human too, though, right? Of course. Yeah, it's, 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 it's human nature. Most of us are not good at reflecting on ourselves. But I, I don't think it needs to be viewed like in a confrontational way. I think, if anything, I'd view it as like a healthy appetite for uh, experimentation yeah. or, uh, you know, trying new stuff. And, and a team like the Devils now is, you know, position especially after last summer went so well for them and then they had nothing to show for it and just completely flamed out at the start of this year uh they have all these all this like financial flexibility but draft capital as well yeah. they have huge yeah. this year in, in terms yeah. of young players and so you know it's a it's a high leverage moment for them and their franchise to um you know get creative in terms of what they're going to do and so i think he'd be a good fit from a sort of more modern front office what we were talking about like a instead of your traditional gm be kind of like a, a figurehead liaison where he can kind of keep the owner at bay and not allow financial decisions to completely dictate your roster yeah. moves yeah. while also embracing the people below him and allowing them to, you know, why, enable them, like why you brought in creative right. thinkers and actually listen to them and, and use their findings as opposed to just being able to have a press release saying that you hire Tyre Dello and, and Matt Cain, but not actually listening to them. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think the thing to remember in all this at the same time, and it was something I was going to touch on earlier, was and we've talked. I mean, the owner the owner is always a factor in any of these places. And you look at Dundon in Carolina, and there's an owner who is very involved. Um, you know, and I think maybe too involved, maybe too involved. <laughs> and I think partly, but I think what I was going to say is I think because you can kind of understand it because yeah. these guys have made a lot of money one way or another. And it's kind of fun to own a sports team, you know, and, and you look at the process and the way things work and, and in a way they are buying their way into the club. Of course. And of course they want to be involved. Um, I think the challenge is and that, uh, or sorry, the, not the challenge. The thing that, that bears watching going forward, and I think the, that is the interesting thing in New Jersey, is how much um, you know the owners are, are going to want to be involved, but how much are they really stepping back at mm. the end of the day 
Um, and you know, are or are you creating a James Dolan or Jerry Jones situation where they're literally making all the decisions in the end right. and making bad ones at that? Um, you know, I, I think I think that that is the kind of that is forever the challenge because in the end, these guys have made a lot of money. They haven't made it in sports. Owning a sports seems fun. This is their money that they're. This is the this is the sort of big decision in their life to spend money. And, you know, they're not just going to pour it down the drain. And, and you know what? Most, you know, you get to that level of success, you are going to often trick yourself into thinking it was entirely because of your own making. Of course. Well, you want to be smart, but you also, just as importantly, want people to know that you're smart. Yes. Um, all right. Let's quickly wrap up this conversation then and talk about um, what everyone in the league is talking about, the coronavirus yes. and how that's impacting, uh, you know, your coverage of the team, mm-hmm. uh, the league's approach. You know, there's a couple caveats I want to I want to say here. First, um, wash we, your hands. Wash, definitely wash your hands. Uh, well, you should be doing that regardless. Uh, wash n- your hands news, more. News is changing by the day. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. we're at a very sort of a um, critical point here where it, it seems like every day, like new, more news is trickling out, right? And both in terms of our understanding, yeah. of, like how yeah. many people are impacted, how yeah. uh, leagues and companies are uh, treating it proactively. Right. The other thing is with the social media era, we're in this age of misinformation where Mm -hmm. everyone's got to take, people are saying crazy stuff. I'm going to be open and say that, um, you know, my, I've been reading up on it a bit, but I think still think my, uh, understanding of it is pretty superficial. Right. Um, and the other thing is, and I don't want to be adding to that misinformation. So I don't want to be coming on here spewing hot takes about, but to be clear, it's not just the flu. Another thing is, um, that's me anyway, (laughs) I want to add some perspective here and, you know, preface this conversation. Uh, this is ultimately sports. Yes. It's a game. Yes. And I understand. And and the reason why I don't talk about topics like this on this podcast much is because this is an escape for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like people want to just watch hockey. They work a nine to five. They want to come watch it. And then if they will listen to this podcast, they're probably, um, you know, more geeky about it and want to know more stuff. But at the end of the day, like you, you tune into this to hear about my takes of which hockey player is better, not uh, some sort of big, you know, remarks on society. But this is really isn't an inescapable storyline now, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, the sharks now coming out and, we still don't know what they're going to do with their upcoming home games. They have like 10 days or so to decide, yeah, yeah. but like it'd be f- foolish to sort of bury our head in the sand here and just be like, Oh, it'll be fine. The league, you know, yeah. isn't going to be affected. Cause like this is happening faster than we even thought it would. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, so I wanted to get into, into that while acknowledging that there's so many more important things than sports. And I think, I'm not sure. I don't follow the other leagues as closely, but you see a lot of the pushback with hockey fans is is like, oh my god, like this is just you know hysteria. Mm-hmm. Like this is so over the top and unnecessary. Yeah, and it might be, but I think it's certainly in this case it's a lot better to be proactive yeah. than reactive. I believe about we've it. talked about opportunity costs. Yeah, and another <laughs> thing is like is you know it's. It really goes against, I mean, think about like how much pushback there is to this idea of load management in hockey yeah. where it's like our players are going to play all 82 games because yeah, yeah. they're tough hockey players. Yeah. So now this yeah. idea of changing the way we cover hockey and the way we yeah. watch hockey because someone might get sick is that people are like, oh my God, this is crazy. It's yeah. like, let's, um, you know, health is first and foremost here. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's say that. But, you know, 
you've had an up close view of it now because right. you, you actually go to all the mm-hmm. sort of press conferences, media availability, you cover the team on a day to day basis. Um, so let's kind of get into, into it from that perspective, acknowledging all of those caveats. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's interesting obviously here because we are one of the busier media, uh, groups, I think in, in the league, in, mm-hmm. you, you know, there are, let's be honest, it's a traveling band. Well, there, there's, yeah, we, I mean, first for starters, yeah, we have reporters that travel to every game. You know, and that's not multiple from different multiple. Yeah, I should say multiple. So, I mean, you know, that's not true of every team. Um, Most teams do have reporters that follow the team from from, you know, outside outlets. Uh, But there's a couple that don't. And uh, so, you know, I think the 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 challenges that uh, are are (coughs) excuse me, that are faced by ironically, I cough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, The challenges that are faced by. Uh, the Canucks as an organization are, are, are bigger than most. Uh, and so, you know, they were, um, you know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a very quickly evolving situation over the weekend. You know, we first heard, I think on Saturday, essentially that, uh, uh, the teams were going to be closing off certainly their rooms and their team spaces. And then, and then they were going to have to come up with some alternative plan. And, um, you know that that was a, a you know I think once they finally kind of came to the conclusion they were at you know the Canucks PR like I I am the local head of the PHWA which is you know not everybody that covers the team is in our our group but a, a good portion of of uh, the local reporter core is involved with our group and so you know they gave me a shout just said here's what's happening tonight after the Sunday night game here's our plan for now we are going to you know evaluate and and move forward with how it goes. And so today, Tuesday, was the first day because they took it yesterday off. And this is the other interesting challenge because we're now at that point in the season where teams just aren't practicing as much. Right. They're, they're much more conscious of the idea. I mean, they don't want to talk about load management in terms of games, but they're very conscious of... Literally load, every player is hurt. Right? They're very conscious of the idea of, well, we shouldn't skate as much as we would like to yeah. because we just need to give guys rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... the um, You know, so Sunday... Sorry, Tuesday... You know, so we, the, the Canucks are playing the Islanders. Canucks basically do a morning skate every game, unless it's a back-to-back, mm-hmm. and then they don't. But a lot of teams don't necessarily do that anymore. But the Canucks do. And instead of opening up the room, which, you know, we usually go in as a crowd, and there's usually a few players there, and it's sort of usually there's certain guys that know they're going to be asked for or talked to, and there's certain guys that are happy to just hang out and talk. Uh, you know, on the cameras. And, and this is the thing that I think is important to understand is that I think most people kind of imagine the coverage as, well, everyone's just standing around the scrum. That's the only time the players talk. Mm. And this was the challenge. And I think we all accepted it. We all recognize, yes, there is a clear uh, health purpose to all this. And, and we are all very accepting of that. Um, we, the, the advantage of in that scenario, especially on a practice day, when you go in there and there's sort of guys hanging around, because just to be clear, the, the the room they're in that all the cameras come into now, that's where they take their hockey gear off. Mm-hmm. They're all their stuff. They're getting changed. They're having showers all elsewhere. They leave that room. They go to some other room that yeah. we're never in, and that's where. But this is where we interact with them, and you know the 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 best chats, the best information happens with those guys that are just chilling, and you'll sit down next to Quinn Hughes or Antoine Roussel, and you know. Most of the time, you you have your recorder out and you're doing a little interview, but sometimes it's just chit chat and it helps you add color and context to the story. 
And and that's what makes the best stories. And so our concern was how do we actually and I think the Canucks' concern too in 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 credit to them was that they recognize that too. That they are they know how it works. They've been around, they've been doing this forever. Yeah. And and so on Tuesday it was good. They actually said, Okay, first of all, they had to set up a, a separate space for the islanders to use after their skate, uh, which was in one of the extra dressing rooms uh just down the hall from the main media room and the main main team rooms. Um, and then they basically repurposed it for us to do one-on-ones. Hmm. And so while the main kind of interviews were happening in the media room on a podium, which is, you know, I think a venue that we're used to seeing certainly with the coach and later on in the playoffs and I think in other sports, um, you know, the players were doing that. We, You know, basically if you could ask for a guy, you know, I asked for Quinn Hughes and I went and talked to Quinn Hughes and I had to stand behind sort of the – before you know, it was a roped off area yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was, you know, six feet between us and mm. Quinn was standing at a mic and Keep I was there distance, yeah. and I had my little recorder running on the, on the, uh, they had a, you know, monitor that was, right. you know, and I, we were talking normally, but you know, we kind of like, this is kind of fun, you know, and, and it was good. It was essentially the same conversation that, um, that I would have had with Quinn had I walked up to him in the dressing room. And so that was appreciated. And that was, a, I think, a good compromise, all things considered. And I think if, if we're able to continue with that, you know, I think everyone's, everyone benefits. The readers benefit. Obviously, you know, it, it makes our job a lot easier. I think the alternatives when maybe getting on the phone, things like that, uh, it's good. I, I think people have been proactive. They've been responsible. Um, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, the reason why there's six feet difference, because that's how far you sneeze or cough. Right. And I think they're asking people to be responsible. And if you're dealing with some kind of illness, they want you to stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because I think it's not just about worries about infecting the players and limiting their um, ability to perform. It's it's all the secondary contacts. And it's the reality that these guys are traveling and could con- conceivably be I mean, think transmitting things around North America. And Think about the mumps a yeah, years ago. Well, no, exactly. Like they're just getting passed around the league. Exactly. And that's, and that's, that is the concern. Yeah. And, and it is, it is the broader public health approach is that like the reality is, is that a lot of people are going to get sick and that's just how it is. But if they can, if they can, if they can smooth down the, uh, infection curve so that the people who really do need to go to hospital, you know, can be treated and it's not everybody showing up at the same time. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. And that's part of what this is an effort in and is, is trying to mitigate the worst case scenario. And, and I, yeah, so I think, you know, in the end, I think the teams are handling this correctly. I think the leads handle this correctly. Um, in the, you know, it's like anything in life. If you can be proactive about something, yeah. things are probably going to work out better in the long run. This is a time definitely to be precautionary. I think. I think yeah. people would be surprised, though. You're you're about how much things have changed, like behind the scenes. People would be surprised that don't experience it. How much just general loitering there is. Oh, there's a lot of loitering. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? I mean, I think you know, I I I think, like I said, I I thought it was important, an important dialogue to have. Mm-hmm. As I said, credit to the Canucks PR for being. You know they get it. They get you know that the, they want their stories told and they want their players. And it, you know, there's some players that really do enjoy the experience. They really do like talking with us. I think they like they like that. I mean, yeah, it's I think part of it, the job. It's part of the job. I think they get it. You know, some guys are less inclined, and that's fine. Yeah. It's you know, everyone makes their choice. I mean, it's funny. I think I think about I had a, you know, Trace Detcher's one of the great chatters in that room. Um, and last year, you know, I remember talking to him and I said, you know, what would you be if you hadn't made it as a hockey player? I said, oh, I'd be one of you guys. 
Mm. You know, and I think there's a there's a they like that. They like talking about issues and well, it's, you know, it's a sell. And, you know, I think it's it is. I mean, they, generally, hockey players are A type people, and it's an A type thing to want to do to talk. Let's talk but, hockey. But it is, it is. It's also if you just it like it's like it's free marketing or or, or PR for oh, them, yeah. right? Like if you have a story yeah. to tell and someone will tell it for you, like yeah. like it makes yourself more marketable. Yeah. Like I think it's just. I think they also like. I mean, I I do think on the whole. I think for the most part, I think they don't mind talking to us. Yeah, you know, uh, there's certain. There's always going to be people you're not going to want to talk yeah, to. More, and, more close up, yeah, for sure. Well, and there's going to be like there's. I mean, we'll see where this goes, but you know, it, it directly ties into uh, we were mentioning earlier the potential salary cap, and there was like an excitement for a while. It was like, oh, it could be eighty four to eighty eight million, and then now it's like, ah, I don't know about that. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see all this. I think the idea of playing games in uh in an empty rink is it's going to be pretty eerie to watch that but i mean it's weird when you watch you know there's there have been examples there's always examples in soccer of course because teams you know i think there's you know teams are often getting punished for racist incidents and stuff like yeah. that and they still play the games but they have a closed stadium and it's just two teams in this huge state i mean there was uh, i think it was uh uh I think it was Inter Inter Milan played a game recently where there was nobody in the stands, and it was for for I think uh, th- that was for other reasons. But it was just yeah, you're like the the voices just echo around the building. It's it's bizarre. Well, yeah, and I mean now they you know we're recording this today. They they canceled the rest of the German league season, yeah. and and one of like the top three to five prospects in Tim Stutzel was the season's just over. Yeah, and that's it. It's not going to yeah. affect his draft. You know, there's more no, important things. I'm just saying it's like... That's the... Yeah, and I think that's the it's thing. It's such an unprecedented, especially the social yeah. media area, era yes. for us to deal with all this and the news coming out that like, that's why we're both kind of like, uh, don't really know how to... Well, and I think it. the leagues, you know, it is a self-interest one. The leagues don't want to play in closed arenas. Yeah. You know, and, and in a place like Germany, the reason why they've canceled the season, and I think someone's telling me, watch for Switzerland to be next. You know, because... What's happened in Italy is partly because it came on so fast that they literally have had to like shut down all other public services because they literally are trying to like stop the spread. And what's happening now is they know it's coming and they're saying, are there ways for us to at least in the long run mitigate having a initially huge spike? And I and, and you know and, and they know that it's, that's in their I mean the leagues know that that's in their interest because if they can mitigate if they can say this is going to be a long tail kind of situation well it's easier to justify keeping buildings open if it's not contributing to a big huge spike but but there's I mean that they, I mean we're already seeing it San Jose yeah like you said San Jose has decisions to make because they're not going to be able to play in a rink with people in it right now but so here's the thing. In that case, not to not to diminish the uh, importance of it, yeah. But for them, that's going to be a couple. I think it's like three games or whatever. It's three games, yeah. Uh, in a lost season, yeah. I mean, it's but it but you know, I mean, it, no. it, it, it's an interesting challenge. What I'm saying yeah. though is, if we spin this forward to the playoffs, right? You know, we just we spend the first forty minutes of the show talking about how the Canucks have basically sold their soul to get a couple home yeah. home playoff yeah. games. Yeah. What's going to happen to that revenue? Yeah, and and I think that I mean it is there is let's be honest. It's also yeah, you're right. I mean there is an inherently a self interested business case for taking these precautionary measures because they want to keep their business running. Yeah, um, it's not just I mean yeah, there is a social responsibility aspect to it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. And there's but, like, and there's certain laws being passed in certain areas where it's like you also can't operate around. But, but yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, of course, All they, right. they want to stay. They want to stay in business. Well, wow, that was a somber note to, to end the show on. But otherwise, a great chat. You're great. I, I had no, that's so not much a somber fun. note. Um, the Napoleon deep dive. 
Yeah, no problem. Come for the hockey, stay for that. Um, PJ, plug some stuff. Where can people check you out? What are you working on these well, days? Well, people like to yell at me on Twitter. I'm at Rising Action. When, when you're breaking uh, injury news. Yeah, breaking injury news and whatever. Um, I also, uh, I've got a, a very, I think people like it, a fun, fun Instagram, at Patty J on mm. the road, yep. uh, which, you know, I try to sort of. Look at you plugging your Instagram. Yeah, and yeah. That's where my writing shows up. And, Beautiful. Uh, occasionally, we have our own podcast. Can I plug that? Yeah, go for it. White Towel, uh, you can find it on all your favorite podcast players. It's not always me. It's all, often my colleagues, but uh, maybe we have some it. fun. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this, and uh, we'll chat, I'm sure, sometime down the road. Thanks, big guy. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.